want to welcome all you guys here. I want to welcome everybody who's watching with us uh, online tonight, guys. I'm so excited. You guys who have been here the past few weeks know um, that we've been going through a series called Explain Like I'm Five, where we've been looking at really um, difficult and complex questions uh, that people have about Christianity, and we've been trying to give uh, the best answer um, that we have. And, and, you know, the purpose for this is twofold. One, it's so that you guys can believe, know what you believe and why you believe it a little better, and you can sleep a little bit more soundly at night, uh, knowing that, you know what, it's okay to have questions, and there are answers to questions that are difficult, and God's not intimidated by our questions. And the second reason uh, is so that you guys can have better conversations with your friends, your family, Family, your neighbors, your coworkers, uh, whenever difficult things um, come about. So I'm excited to continue that series tonight. I want to tell a little story here um, to give us some traction for where we're going tonight. So, uh, you know, it never ceases to amaze me, like as a pastor, whenever you meet uh, new people and you're doing like the normal meet and greet thing, um, and you know, you finally get to the point they're like, "So, what do you do for a living?" And you're like, "I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. I'm a Bible teacher, or whatever um, word I want to choose at the time." Most of the time, I say I'm a pastor, and it is always. Uh, you know, amazes me how they're going to react to it because um, there's a variety of reactions that happens. And I can tell you guys this one time uh, I was talking to this guy who was just a really big time, like hot shot uh, lawyer, you know, like top of the corporate office, corner office, makes like 10 figures a year. And like, I don't like talk to guys like this very often, but whenever you do, it's always an interesting uh, situation. And I remember I can introduce myself uh, and I was like, hey, like my name's David. And he said, hey, my name is so-and-so. How the blank are you doing today? And I was like, all right. And then, you know, we go on to like, you know, do the meet and greet thing. And he's like, you know, so I do this and I've been practicing law this, you know, long and it's this and that. And he's sprinkling, you know, all types of colorful vocabulary in there, you know, which is, it is what it is. Uh, and then he's like, so what do you do? And I'm like, yeah, I'm actually like a pastor, you know, like I work at a church and I do young adults ministry and like preach sermons and teach the Bible and do spiritual, you know, leadership and all that good stuff. And he was like, whoa, you know, like, I'm, I'm really sorry, you know, maybe like when you go back to your church or whatever, you can say like a few prayers for me so that I would be like a, a better person uh, or, you know, things like that. Um, and that was really interesting uh, conversation for me because really how that got me thinking is what do people on the outside think that church is like? And what do they think that heaven is like? And more importantly, how do they think that people go to heaven or who goes to heaven or who gets to heaven or what's it like? And I think if we went around this room and we were to ask everyone that question, maybe our general consensus would come to something pretty close. And it's essentially that people think that good people are the ones that go to heaven. That those are the ones who go to eternity with God after this is essentially people who are good. And, you know, they might think something along the lines of like, hey, like as long as I'm not a murderer or I don't like sexually assault someone or steal something or anything like that, like as long as I'm generally like a pretty good person, uh, that's what you do. That's how you get to heaven. Or maybe uh, they think, well, it's about doing more good things than bad things because nobody's perfect and we need to be like accepting and loving of everyone. And, you know, we all make mistakes and do bad things and stuff like that. So maybe it's just about doing more good things than bad things. And I think as you guys have conversations with people you know that those two core ideas are going to be behind a lot of what a lot of people say and believe about who goes to heaven. So there's a kind of a few big problems right, when it comes to thinking like this, is one, who or what told you that doing good things is what gets you into heaven? Because if you search the pages of the Bible, you will not find that in there. And the second thing is, is who gets to decide what's good? 
Because we all have different definitions of good. Remember, we kind of talked about that last week, but just think about this. There are people on this earth who think that the highest good, that the most ethical thing that you can do is to strap a bomb to your chest, blow yourself and other civilians up who oppose what you believe. There are people on this earth who think the most righteous, ethical thing that you can do is to eliminate people of inferior races. Well, that's clearly not good. And I know what you're thinking right now is you're like, okay, that's a little extreme. Like, obviously not them. Like, they wouldn't be good. But like, honestly, like, where is the line? Where is the line on who gets to decide what's good and what isn't good? I mean, we are really, really bad as a country about coming to a consensus about what we think the right thing to do in a certain situation is. I mean, take any issue that you guys see on social media. Um, Gun rights, environmental rights, pro-life, pro-choice, immigration, tax reform, the list goes on. We are very, very divided when it comes to any situation about trying to decide what's the right thing to do. I don't think we got to look any further, really, than the past year that we've walked through, as we've had so many debates about everything that revolves around the pandemic and so many people entrenched in different camps trying to decide what is the right thing to do, guys. What I'm trying to point out to you is as humans, we are not very good about being united on morality. And morality is just a way of saying what's the right thing to do in this situation. And even if we could get a rough list together of like, hey, what constitutes a good action and what constitutes a bad action? How do we ascribe value to those actions? Think about this. Like how many people in your life do you talk to that they think that their whole life is like a big scale and on one side it has all the good things that they did and all of the bad things that they did and they're trying to get more weight over here on the good side than they are on the bad side. Like That's how so many people think their life is, but really, dig in with me for a second and think about this. How would you decide how much weight to put on a certain action? Like, think about this. Would you be like, okay, I gave money to someone who's poor, or I gave money to charity today. That's like plus 10 points for it a day. That's plus 10 on the weight on this side. How do you decide how many points that's worth? And then you're like, okay, whenever you're talking to someone, you're talking to a girl gentleman, and you're like, you're the only girl that I DM. You're the only girl that I Snapchat. That's clearly a lie. So is that like minus five for lying over here? So I got plus 10 because I gave money to charity today, but minus five because I just lied to somebody on social media. You know, how do you decide what is good and what's wrong? And whether you realize it or not, that's how so many people, maybe even within the church, view the Christian faith. And of course, you will run across, obviously, those people who say, man, I I don't uh, really want to go to heaven because none of my friends will be there. It sounds like it's going to be lame. You know, Mark Twain is famous uh, for saying, you know, you want to go to heaven for the weather, but hell for the company. And there's this idea that hell is this place where you just kick back and there's like a guy with, who's red with pointy horns or whatever, and you just play poker with the devil and drink tequila, and it's like this eternal weird grunge bar, dive bar, pool hall uh, atmosphere, and all the bad characters from society are there. And, you know... Friends, like, that's just not true. That is just not true. There are no friends in hell. There is only loneliness. There's only complete separation and hopelessness for all of eternity. And something that just never ceases to just move me in my heart to think about is people who are there now, who have been there for 4,000 years, 2,000 years, 100 years, are no closer 
to it ending than when they started. Friends, there are no friends there, and I don't say that to scare you, but I hope that you can detect the seriousness and the gravity in my voice of what I'm talking about here. But then there's the other side. People are thinking, man, like going to heaven, like it sounds a lot better than whatever that is that you're talking about, but it sounds kind of boring. People think that heaven is just this eternal church service, uh, you know, where we just sit around and like some people are like, man, it's really hard for me just to stomach 60 minutes on Sunday. Like I can hardly imagine an entire eternity of listening to church music. It just doesn't sound like it's my thing, you know, but it does sound better than like the whole suffering thing. And, and people think, well, maybe it's just like sitting on clouds and playing harps and it's just so boring. You know, there's like a, a famous cartoon of two guys uh, who are, you know, supposedly in heaven and they're sitting on their cloud and they're looking kind of bored at one another. And one guy says, man, I wish I had just brought a magazine with me, you know, and maybe that's the way that we think about what heaven is going to be like. Like it's not as bad as hell, but it sounds pretty, pretty boring. So tonight I think we've got to look past all of that. I think we've got to look past that and you've got to look at God's word because if we can't determine, like I said, what is good and bad, we can't determine what's right or wrong, who is going to go to heaven, or if we even want to go there, we have to look somewhere where we can. We have to look somewhere we can get those answers. So that is what I want to do tonight. So before we go any further, let's just pray and ask God to help us. Lord, we are here for you. Lord, and we are here to hear God, the greatest story ever told. God, the story that can ignite hope in a hopeless heart. God, the story that can shine light into the darkest night. Lord, the story that can fix even the most broken among us. Lord, I just pray that right now, God, there are so many across this room and so many who may listen to this in the future. God, who are carrying a heavy burden right now, carrying something deep and weighty in their heart. Lord, I just pray right now through your Holy Spirit that you would just minister to them. Lord, I just pray that right now, whatever it is that's swirling around in our minds, that's filling our thoughts, that's making us anxious, God, that we would just be able to set that aside. God, just for the next few minutes. That, Lord, we would lay our desires down at your feet. And we would open ourselves to being changed and shaped and molded by you. Would you just right now, in whatever way that you can, would you just tell the Lord, just in your own prayer, just, Lord, I am open to hearing from you tonight. Lord, I pray that I would step out of the way tonight and that you would step in for me, God, that we don't need to hear from David. We need to hear from you. God, we love you and we praise you. And we ask this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want you guys to flip or tap your way over to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. If you don't have your copy of God's Word with you tonight, uh, it's going to be available on the screen. As you guys that are watching online, um, it should pop up for you guys as well. So, uh, Romans chapter 3, we're going to be starting in verse 9, whenever you turn there. Romans 3, 9. So Romans, guys, is the cornerstone of Christian theology. And our understanding uh, might be that this is kind of like a, a focal point foundational book of how we know about God and we know about the things of God, how God restores 
the relationship with humanity that has been broken by sin and how uh, this has always been God's plan since the Garden of Eden. Guys, Romans can show us how we can personally and individually restore our relationship with God and how we can join in his plan to restore uh, the world, um, to not only have sin and evil overcome in our own lives, but to see Christ restore brokenness in our communities, in our families, and our friendships. Guys, Romans is a big, long book uh, that tells us all about that. It's very um, dense, but it is packed full of so much good stuff. I would encourage you guys, if you have never read the book of Romans, to read it. Uh, I can remember one summer for my devotional, I read the book of Romans over and over and over, one chapter a day for three months for the entire summer. And I'm telling you, every single time that I read through it, I learned something brand new. It's one of my favorites. So um, if you've tried reading it before and you're like, man, this is a little dense, like my suggestion for you would maybe be like, try maybe an easier translation. If you guys are used to reading stuff like the NSAB or the King James Version or something like that, you know, I usually read the NLT or the NIV. So if you're kind of struggling, like what's a good translation, the best translation is the one that you read. Um, but there are ones that are a little easier to read out there. So if you're struggling with that, come talk to me after. I would love to help you with that. But tonight we're going to be reading out the NLT um, for you guys that it makes your ADHD go crazy if you're trying to read a different translation than the one that I'm reading on screen. Um, so guys, in order to answer this question, tonight, I think we have to ask a few more questions. And the first thing we have to ask coming on screen is this, is who is good? Who is good? So you're taking notes, that's super easy. Only three words. Who is good? And let's start in verse 9. Paul writes this, well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. So if you're new to the Bible, or maybe you just haven't read this uh, in a while, let me try to shine some light on this for you guys. The Jews are God's chosen people to represent him in all of the world. And God promised the Jews through Abraham uh, a long time ago that he would bless him, and in turn, that his family, his offspring, were going to bless the entire world. And Abraham's children became the nation of Israel, which are the Jewish people. So anytime you're in church, you hear people talk about Israelites or Jews, it's the same thing. It's just a different word to refer to the same group of people. But God told Abraham, hey, I'm going to bless you, not so that the blessing would be something that is kept for you, Abraham, but for so that you would in turn bless the entire world, that God wants to bless the entire world, but he's going to do it through a chosen people. But as the story goes on, we see, if you guys read through uh, Genesis, or if you've been here on Sundays as Pastor Grant's been preaching through Genesis, often God's chosen people are not the ones who are representing God well in the world. In fact, sometimes they're the ones who are screwed up worse than anybody else. And sometimes it's the Gentiles that are representing God well. So you might be thinking, what the heck does the word Gentile mean? That's not a word that we use commonly, guys. Gentile is just anybody who is not a Jew. So as far as the Bible is concerned, there's Jews and there's Gentiles. You're God's chosen people, or you're people who exist in the world who are outside God's chosen people. And those are the Gentiles. So why does this matter for us? What Paul's saying is much later in the historical timeline, he writes this, much later than Abraham, thousands of years later, he says, look, it doesn't matter if you are part of the chosen people that God chose in the beginning or not. The great denominator in humanity is that we are all locked under sin's curse. We all do things that we wish that we had not done. We all do things, whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, that is against God's plan. Um, 
And no matter who you are, if you're human, you're under the curse of sin and you're experiencing suffering because there's evil in the world. And we talked about that all last week. So if you missed that, go check it out on the podcast. But for us, I think it might be helpful for us to think about it like this, because this might help us uh, understand this a little bit better. So think about Jews are like people who, uh, Jews and Gentiles are like people who are inside the church versus people who are outside the church. And here's what I mean by that, is those of you in here who feel like you were basically born in the church, like you might be closer to what Paul is talking about when he's referring to Jews in Romans chapter 3. Like you're the person for as long as you can remember, you have been at church every single Sunday, your parents have made you go to every VBS, you've been to every camp, you've been to every student ministry event, like you have veggie tales memorized, it is perfect permanently ingrained in your DNA when you're walking through the grocery store and you see tomatoes and cucumbers next to each other, like you start having flashbacks in your, in your mind. It's like almost like you have PTSD. Like it is permanently, religious life is just ingrained in who you are. You do not know life outside of this religious experience. And for some of you guys in here, being raised in a faith community has helped you discover the glory of who God is, the splendor and the magnificent love of Christ, and you have been able to make that faith your own. And for some of you, that has not made you a Christ follower, but a very spiritual and a very religious person. And you think because you have always behaved, you've pretty much done what you're supposed to do, you're a little bit better than the person who's sitting in the row behind you, and you're a little bit better than the people that you disagree with out in the world. Why? Because you follow all the rules. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells one of his most famous stories, that whether you're inside or outside of the church, you've heard some story or some rendition of the story of the prodigal son. The story of the prodigal son focuses on two brothers. There's the older brother, and in this situation, you might be the older brother, and you were wondering why the father cares about the son who never does what he's supposed to do. Why are we throwing this big banquet for the son who's been out doing everything that you told him not to do when I've been here following everything you said? I followed all the rules. I've kept all of the commandments, and maybe in your life, you've wondered something similar if you're in this camp, and you've wondered why does God bless people who are wicked when I'm standing right here? Why does God not notice me? Why is God not answering my prayers when I'm here every Sunday? I'm volunteering, I'm giving, I'm doing everything that I know to do, yet when I look out into the world, I see people who are wicked who I feel like are being blessed. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've boiled your relationship down with God as something that's transactional. You view everything as just a religious transaction. I do religious, religious action. A, God gives me reward blessing. B, you guys know people who are like this? They're really, really miserable to be around. They go to church every single week, but they are cold, cranky, and critical. And they're not focused on the things of God. They're not focused on manifesting the fruit of the Spirit in their life. They're not focused on being a warm and loving, inviting, caring person. Because we're all, whether you've been believing and following in Jesus for 15 minutes or 15 years, we're all in danger, myself included, of becoming that person. 
or you might be on the other side. You might be a Gentile, you might be the younger brother. That's in Jesus' story in Luke 15, where you have always been outside the church, you have never crossed the threshold of the building, you've never opened the Bible, and you've lived for every single thing that is under the sun that is not God. You've tried rebellion, you've tried riches, you've tried success, but at the end of the day, feel empty, you feel hopeless, worthless. You might even believe that you weren't really that kind of a person to start with. In Christ's parable, you'd be the younger son in the story. But you might be thinking, well, this is not 100% fair. Like, I didn't know the rules. We never opened the Bible. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter which side that you're on. It doesn't matter if you're the older or the younger son. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. That's what Paul's getting at, what we just read in Romans chapter 3. It just came out. Your sin, your transgression against the Lord just manifested in different ways. But the net result was the same. So look what Paul keeps saying in verse uh, 10, if you guys will join me with that. He's saying, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Man, that's really dramatic. Like, that's really intense. Like, Paul, like, what's he saying right here? What Paul's doing is actually quoting from a bunch of different psalms in the Old Testament and a little bit um, from Isaiah, which God has preserved. It's been part of the Bible to show us that every single possible expression of humanity is against the Lord, apart from him. That without God, everything that we do, it doesn't matter if you think you're good. Humans, apart from God, do not bless the world, but we destroy God's good world. So maybe you think like, hold on, hold on a second. Like I can kind of see where you're going in the beginning with that. People who are really bad, people who do really things, but like I'm, you know, I don't, I don't kill people, David. I don't feel like I'm destroying the world. Like I don't kill people. I don't assault people. I don't steal things. I'm not that bad. Well, that's what Romans chapter 2 is all about. If you guys go home tonight, you read the previous chapter, Romans chapter 2, is you want to be graded on a curve. You want to be put into a special camp. You want exceptional treatment because you're thinking, man, I'm not, as, I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as him. But I haven't done the things that she has. And you want to compare yourself, not to God's standard, but to another person. And what God says, if you try to bank on good deeds, like you're done. If you try to bank on the fact that you think you're a pretty good person, the Bible says the good things that we have done in comparison to God's goodness is like filthy rags. That if we tried to stack all of our goodness up and compare it to the goodness of God, our goodness would look like a pile of dirty socks. Friend, let me make it really simple. The Lord has made the standard perfection. 
And he did that through his law. Look at these next few verses, Paul says, as we continue to work our way through chapter 3. Obviously, the law applies to those whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. The Lord's word, the things that he calls us to do, it shows us that we can't hit the mark that's set before us. Whether we realize it or not, that we can't do that, that we fall short of his mark of perfection, guys. Even the word sin, the word sin comes from an archery term. It's a failure to hit the center of the target, failure to hit a bullseye. So in archery, whenever someone would make a sin, is because they did not hit the target perfectly. Sin is failing to hit the center target from failing to represent God or even going blatantly against the things that God has instructed us to do, the way he's instructed us to live, the way he's called us to treat other people. Even if you have never read the Bible in this room, it still applies to you because I know, you know, there are things that you've done that you regret doing and you know that you have done wrong. There are things that you wish that you could undo. There are things that you have said that you wish you could take back. There are nights that you wish you could forget and put behind you, but you can't. There are days that you wish you could do over, but they're done. So guys, it does not matter if you've ever crossed the threshold of the church or not. We have all broken the law, and we have failed to hit the standard, guys. And see, the purpose of the law, because we can't go all into that tonight, but just really quick, the purpose of the law is like a CAT scan. Okay, a CAT scan, if you go in and get a CAT scan, it can show you inside your body. It can show you where you have sickness, where you have tumors. It can show you where the problem is. But it is powerless to heal you or to cure you from that sickness. The law works just like that. It can show you what is wrong, but it is powerless to heal you or to cure you. So just so we can be super clear, this is how we can understand this, is God has created a standard, and he has given us the tools to do that. And this is kind of what his standard is like. I think a visual representation might help us. So coming on screen, uh, imagine this is like what God wants us to draw. This is a hyper-realistic painting that a lady free-handed um, with oil and charcoal paint. Um, so imagine this is the standard that God set. It's just to say, for instance, this is what he wants you to draw. All right, so here's the standard. And then this is the best thing that we can produce. So to answer our question... Who's good? None of us. Like, I can't bank on my deeds. You can't bank on your deeds. We have to bank on someone who did hit the mark, someone who did hit the standard. We have to be united and unified to the person who hit that standard. So it isn't about becoming good, guys. Listen, becoming a believer, following Jesus, becoming a Christian, going to church, whatever label, whatever term you want to use, it isn't about you doing more good things. It's not about trying to be a better person. It's not trying to have the right labels or the right whatever it is in your life. It's about putting your faith in the only one who can save us, guys. So second question tonight is how can we obtain right standing? 
How can we attain right standing? Who can attain right standing? Look in verse 21 with me. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, without hitting the standard for perfection we just talked about. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. So Paul's saying, this is not a plan B. This has always been God's plan. Verse 22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. And that last part should make us so glad and so joyful that anyone who believes, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've seen, no matter what you've been, no matter what you said, no matter what you walk for, anyone can believe. Guys, there's this picture in the, in the book of James, in James chapter 2, when he's talking and he says, Abraham, the religious, faithful standard bearer. Abraham is like the guy that every Jewish child looked up to and tried to be like. He said, you know what? Abraham was just as close to the kingdom of God as Rahab was. Rahab was a prostitute who ran a brothel. And he's saying both of these people had access to the kingdom of God. And they were just as close, guys. Listen, good people don't go to heaven people who realize they need to be redeemed out of the realization that they need to turn their life to the only one who can save them. Those are the ones that go to heaven, and that person is Jesus Christ. So the answer is not more rule following. It's not trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and be a better person. It's not doing more good. It's the answer is Christ. You are saved by putting your faith and your belief in Jesus and Jesus alone. Nothing else beside it. And that's why the gospel to me is better than good advice. It's good news. Because the Bible is not a rule book of extra expectations and requirements to pile on yourself. So maybe, hopefully, I'm a good enough person to when I come to the end of my life, I might have the chance to get into heaven. That is not the story of what scripture is because you, it's good news because you don't have to exhaust yourself trying to do that. That you just have to trust and believe and rest in the fact that Jesus did that for you. Jesus hit the target, and Jesus will allow his standing, his justification before God to be united to you if you believe in him. But you got to believe in him, not like, hey, like a historical figure, like, okay, I know Jesus was a real person. I know George Washington was a real person in history. Like, it's deeper than that. Believe in him like you know something about him. Believe in him in such a way that there is no turning back, that you exchange your way of life for a new way of living life, that you used to be going this direction. This is what the word repent means. Repentance literally means turn around, that I used to go this way in my life, that I used to view the world, other people, 
all this way, and I have traded that in, I've exchanged that, I've turned around, and now I'm believing and following Jesus, and I've exchanged the way I've thought about people, the way I've thought about how they deserve to be treated, the way I've thought about how I love other people, all that's gone. I've traded that in for following Jesus. That's how you believe in and follow Jesus, and you believe in such a way that there's no turning back, there's no exchange, there's no second plan. It's no safety net. It's all God or nothing. Believe in him in such a way that you would forsake the way that you would live in order to follow him. Believe in him in such a way that there's no turning back. Guys, you have to give total control of your life over to God. And there's this amazing story in John chapter 6. And I wish we had time to do the whole story tonight. But we're just going to key in on the end. But Jesus has been traveling around, and he's been preaching. And he's been telling everyone uh, in the area that the kingdom of God is near, that the kingdom of God is at hand. He's been revealing to people that he's the son of God. He's been performing miracles. He's been healing people who are sick. He's been answering questions about the scriptures. And at this point, like, Jesus has amassed, like, a lot of, like, followers, like, there's a lot of people who are a big fan of, like, what Jesus is doing. They're like, this is awesome. Like, people who are sick, you're healing them. People who are poor, you're treating them with dignity. Confusing questions about the Bible, you're answering them. Like, this is awesome. And there is, like, probably hundreds, if not thousands of people who are literally just following Jesus around as he goes around at this point. And the disciples are like, this is incredible. Look at all these people who are following you now, Jesus. Don't you think this is awesome? And Jesus is like, all right. And he stands up and he's like, hey, any of you guys who are just here who have just been following me to get the free food, any of you guys here who have just been entertained by this, if you really want to be my follower, here's what you have to do. You're going to have to take up your cross. You're going to have to die to yourself every single day. And when he says that, what he means is your plan for success, your plan for happiness, your desires, the things that you think are most important, you've got to set those aside to the point that they are dead. What is something that's dead? It is lifeless. It's useless. It can't do anything any, anymore. Saying you've got to die to yourself, leave everything else behind to follow me. And then some people raise their hand and they're like, God, can I go back and can I, just, can I just bury my family members who are dead yet? And he says, no, because it's a loaded question. They're saying, can I go back and get my inheritance yet? Can I go back and get my inheritance, get all the things that I need that make me feel safe and comfortable, then I can come follow you? And he says, no. And someone else says, oh man, but I just try, got a few new oxen and I've been really wanting to try them out. I want to see how these guys can pull. I know all of you guys are thinking that. You know what I mean? You're like, I just cannot wait to get home and see how strong these oxes that I've got are. But basically what he's saying is, look, I just made a, I just made a business investment, and I want to see it through. I want to reap the benefits of this business investment. Can I go do that? Then can I come back and follow you? And Jesus says, no. And Jesus says, anyone here who's not willing to leave all that behind to follow me, you can go. And hundreds of people stand up, walk away. And Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, Peter, are you not going to go with him? And Peter looks at Jesus, 
And he says, where would I go? You alone hold the keys to eternal life. You're the son of God. Friend, I'm telling you that Jesus is asking you the same thing. Where are you going to go? Because Jesus is offering not just eternal life and heaven with him after this, but a way that you can experience that now, albeit in a limited sense, a way that you can experience the eternal kind of life and the here and the now, that's not something that you have to wait on. And that's what Jesus is asking you. He's saying, I'm the only way outside of me that there is no life. In the Bible, when it says the word life, it's talking about things that bring goodness, things that bring true, lasting joy, that don't make you feel like crap, that don't make you feel empty the next day. He's saying, outside of me, there is no life. So I don't believe that God is trying to rip us off. I don't believe that God is trying to keep us from anything that would bring us true joy or true happiness. I don't believe that. I believe God's trying to protect us from ourselves when he calls us to do things. But doing those things is not enough, guys. So let me try to tie all this together for us here. The bottom line is this, is heaven is not full of good people. It is full of hurt people who realize they needed help. And Jesus did not die to make bad people good. He died to bring dead people to life. And maybe your whole life, you have been walking around spiritually dead on the inside, trying to clean your life up, or you've walked around searching for purpose in life, and you keep coming up empty, and you want to give up, because you feel like there, there can't be anything. I've tried everything. I've looked everywhere. Tonight, I want to give you the same chance that Peter had. The chance to say to God, I'm not going anywhere else. Because you alone hold the keys and the truth of eternal life. I want to give you guys the chance for tonight, June 14th, 2021, to be a flag in the ground moment. To say, no turning back. Say, I'm going forward with Jesus. So here's what we're going to do is we're going to bow right now, and I'm just going to ask you guys just to pray through three questions. Just to pray through three questions. Would you just pray? Just ask God, what are you banking on? Are you banking on your own goodness? Are you banking on Christ's goodness? Just ask yourself, God, show me what I'm banking on. Show me what I'm trusting in. then I would just pray and I would ask God, just have an honest conversation with him. 
do you know Christ in a real life altering way? Do you really know him? Do you know him in such a way you say no turning back that I'm trading this life in in exchange for the life that God has? don't and you're wondering, well, how do I do that? In Romans chapter 10, seven chapters later after what we just read, Paul says that anyone who would believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord will be saved. So for you, maybe tonight what that means is for you to pray in the best way that you know how. Jesus, I believe in you and I want to follow you. And it's as simple as that. It's not about the words. It's about the commitment that you're going to make. The commitment that you're making maybe in this moment to say that today is that flag in the ground moment. I'm turning around. And maybe I don't have all the answers yet. Maybe I don't know how all that's going to look. But I'm ready to take the first step towards that. The third question is, is if you're in here and you're someone who would say, man, I know that. I believe that. I've committed my life to that. Would you just pray through this question? What are you doing about it right now? What are you doing about the fact that you believe and follow Jesus right now?